Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Frankie, and Marcus, and our lovely guest today, Arabelle. What's up, Arabelle? Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. So Arabelle is a teammate of mine from my mixed doubles USTA team. Um, so as I was mentioning in a few previous episodes, that it is nice that on these USTA teams, you get to meet some cool people who are interested in tennis. And sure enough, Arabelle, here we go, is, is joining the pod. So a little preview of some of the other characters of Frankie's USTA teams that will be joining the podcast pretty, pretty soon. Um, inclusive of most likely uh, a future podcast uh, entrant, which will be Shelby, who is going to be no quite. Way. Yeah, Shelby. Shelby wants to be on, and Shelby's going to be quite the character, to say the least. I'm all for it. So we look very much forward to having Shelby on. But um, for the real hard hitting episodes like today's Roland Garros preview, had to get the big guns out and have to go to Arabelle. So yes, that brings us to today's topic, which is the Roland Garros preview. Uh, draws just came out probably like 24 hours ago, 48 hours ago as of recording. Um, I think we're all really looking forward to it. Uh, so we will jump uh, right in. And Marcus, we'll start with you. Uh, how did you think the draw shook out? Who was your biggest winner? Um, biggest winner for me so far has got to be Stefano Tsitsipas just due to the ease of the bottom half of the draw. Daniil Medvedev is essentially non-existent on a clay court, so he's out. Um, and I have no faith in Casper Ruud since he just played in Geneva a week before and made the final. I don't know why he did that. Otherwise, I would have picked him maybe to beat Tsitsipas, but I think he's going to be spent physically. R- really, really unsure why he did that, but Besides the point, otherwise the bottom half of the draw is essentially a joke. Tsitsipas, I think, has a cakewalk to the final. Um, and the top half of the draw, I don't know what Roland Garros was doing. I know that it's quote-unquote random, but there's you just can't have Nadal and Djokovic in that, in that quarter. Like, that, that just can't happen, right? I, I don't know. I think they should have rigged it. Or you know what they should have done, Frank? They should have seeded the way that Wimbledon used to seed, where they do their own seeding not based on the rankings. Because it's so obvious that Daniil Medvedev should not be a two seed at the French Open. He should be like an eight seed or something like that. I think you could also make the argument that Carlos Alcaraz should not be the six seed, quite quite honestly. Correct. Add that Carlos on. Carlos Alcaraz is the betting favorite to win the whole tournament. So yeah, I would I would I would say that's a little bungled. I I mean I would go a step further and say that the idea that Zverev, Alcaraz, Djokovic, and Nadal being in the same half is an absolute like travesty yeah, that's, that's such a joke mistake yep yeah it's it's just such a mistake and it, it, i mean listen for me you you highlighted highlighted pass a million percent agree if Stefano pass does not make the final of roland garros i mean forget it the pit we're beyond the pit of misery we're in like like he should be in earth's core at that point but um i think the other person that's a real winner and really really has to make a run in my opinion is yannick center Yannick Sinner has a very clear path being in Daniil Medvedev's quarter to really make the semifinals. Um, and if he loses to Stefanos in the city in the semifinals, that's fine. But I think Jan really needs to take that next step and, and, and get to a major semifinal. I think this is his chance and he's got the opening, go get those points, go get that, uh, go get, go get that semifinal. This is a massive opportunity for him. In my opinion, yeah. I will say Frankie, I'm not as bullish on Yannick Sinner as you anymore. I mean, I think 
you know, what's good about him is he's, he's ice cold, you know, keeps it very cool. Um, he gets a lot of natural leverage on his ground strokes just from his height. Um, I think he gets like the most top spin of anyone on tour on his backhand. I think I read that. But to me, it's still like a very one-dimensional game. Like it's just like hit really hard and heavy from the ground and he doesn't really have a plan B. So I don't know, in this new age, this era of Alcaraz that's emerging, I, I don't, I'm not super bullish on him. I'd like to see someone else with a little bit more variety, someone who's a little bit more exciting. You know, so maybe today, you know, yeah, maybe he might do well, get to the semis or something. But for the long term, I don't know. I don't know that I would put him in that exciting category or, or if I'm that excited about him anymore. Yeah, I think the expectations for him have simmered, simmered a little bit. Nice. Ha ha ha! Yeah, not right. Um, and 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 I think and I think with kind of uh, with the right intention because he's not performing at the level that we would all like him to. And 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 Frank and I talked about this last po- last podcast about what he needs to do in order to get to where he we all think he should be, and that's definitely beef up. Uh, uh, physically now that's obviously not going to happen within a week of Roland Garros obviously but that's something that we're going to look out for for the next year or two in the next offseason I'm also intrigued by and now that you mentioned where I'm looking at the center quarter um, first of all can we talk about how Tommy Paul is the 30 seed and playing Christian Garen because I thought Christian Garen was going to be the 30 seed and Tommy Paul was playing him but shout out to Tommy Paul having a really nice season Um, if if center loses to Rublev Frank and, and Arabelle, I want to hear your thoughts too. Do you th- consider that um, kind of like an upset? Like he should beat Rublev? Or would you be like, ah, okay, that checks out? I think on clay, Yannick should be beating Rublev at this point, in my opinion. Um, if he is as good as he has been, like if the expectations for Jan are still as high as we initially thought, then he should be beating a player like Rublev on clay on hard court. I think that is not a match that he necessarily should be winning. That I think is a pure toss up, but um, I would absolutely say that that's a match that he should be winning given his prowess on clay um, and his results so far. I mean, he's gotten to some nice quarterfinals where he's lost to like Stefano Tsitsipas. Uh, I think he lost to him in Rome. So, I mean, it's, like these are these are matches that I think Jan, if he wants to be in that next step, if he wants to be considered very much like Arabo was saying in that same class as, you know, as Alcaraz, those are the kind of matches that he should be winning. I'm also just examining this draw even more as we go along. I mean, that top half of the draw is absolutely stacked. I mean, Diego Schwartzman's in that draw. I mean, Novak's run to the final is potentially brutal. I mean, he could potentially have to go through Diego in the in the round of 16, Nadal in the quarters, Alcaraz in the semis, and then Sitsipas in the finals. I mean, say what you want about Sitsipas. That's fine. I mean, say what you want. It's me. Say what I want. I rag on him more than anyone. But, uh, you know, if Novak wins this tournament, this would it, and it, and that's the path he has to go through. That might be his most impressive major win ever, because that is this is an brutal brutal draw for him yeah one thing so i'll respond to the rublev versus sinner i think rublev's biggest weakness is his lack of a backhand i think if you want to be an elite player today you have to be able to hit winners off of both wings forehand and backhand and i think even some of the best players 
arguably like have like better backhands than forehands or like like Novak or or Zverev. So I think like that's just a weakness that uh, you know Sinner very easily can expose. You know he hits that heavy backhand, lots of spin, lots of pace. So I just don't think if you want to be at the top level of tennis today that you can be a Rublev or a Berrettini, you know, trying to just rely on a big serve and a forehand. It's so easy to break that apart, especially if you're like a tactical genius like, you know, Djokovic or Alcaraz or Nadal, like they're going to eat you alive. Yeah, that's a very, very fair point, Arabelle. And I think that's ultimately what's going to hold back guys like Berrettini and Rublev. Um and I think that I think center. I don't know if I would say he should beat Rublev because I think Rublev is also a really good player, um, and I have I I value him highly. Um, but I, examining the draw further on the bottom half, I know Frank, you were taking a look at the top half. You know who was actually a cheeky little pick to make the semifinals from the bottom half? PCB. That's a good one too. Good shout. But I was thinking someone else. Marin Cilic. Miramir Kasmanovic. Oh, I love Kazmanovich. A huge Kazmanovich fan. Love him. He Absolutely had a, love him. He, Such so good results this year. He's been outstanding. He's had an amazing first half of the year. He's slated to play Medvedev in the third round. That's if Medvedev can beat Facundo Bagnus, which I doubt. Um and uh I think I think Kazmanovich, the way he's been balling, he could definitely make a run. Easy. Yeah. No, I, I a million percent agree with that. Um the other, for me, oh, next topic. Um, best first round uh, matchup for me, one to watch, has to be, despite me saying that he has to make the final, I actually think that Musetti versus Sitsipas is going to be a fascinating matchup because Musetti in many ways is like an, an even craftier version of Sitsipas. So that could really be a matchup where Steph potentially has some trouble. Um, because Musetti on his day has all the talent in the world and could take anyone down a la Fognini. Um, so that, that I think could be a really, really interesting one. Yeah. And I, and I think another one, Frank, to watch out here for now that I'm looking at the draw, um, Dennis Shapovalov, Holger Rune. I knew you were going to say yeah. it. Ditto, I, ditto. I knew you were going to say it because ditto. I hate Holger Rune. Which is completely unjustified. So Arabelle, talk to me about that matchup. What are your thoughts on that? Okay. So. For all my listeners out there, I've been a Holger Rune groupie since uh, he took a set off from Novak Djokovic at the uh, at the U.S. Open, I think, first round this year. Fun fact about Holger Rune, he responds to every single one of his DMs on Instagram. He responds to every single comment on posts. He no, likes he every not. tweet no, that you tweet at him. I'm telling you, try it. Okay, 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 you got great, it. No, break Arabelle, point Arabelle, podcast. You got to send us screenshots. We're putting that on the pod. No problem. Hold on. Breakpoint podcast is going to send him a DM now. Oh, well, no, he's not going to come on now because he knows that I'm a member of the hate club. I'm not asking him to come on. I just want to see if he responds. But Frankie, I'm curious why you hate Holger Rune. So my, my take on Holger Rune, why I like him and, and why I think he might have some issues. I like him because he seems like he's like obsessed with playing tennis. He's smiling all the time when he's training, when he's playing. Like he has this like really cute like drive to be number one. Keeps saying he wants to be number one, and I think that like childish energy and love for tennis can take him really far. But I think reason things that might hinder him probably number one thing is like lack of maturity. 
because I was watching uh, the match of him uh, in the semis at Lyon, and the commentators kept saying, like, he's acting like a junior. Like, he's getting mad for no reason after every point, like, smashing his racket, like, looking at his mom in frustration. So I think, like, he, like you know, he's literally the same exact age as Alcaraz, for example, but the maturity is not there. Yeah. So, I mean, you've just answered the question as to why I am a member of the Holgerun Hate Club. And it is because I think that in comparison to Alcaraz and Sinner, his maturity is just wildly not <laughs> there yet. Um, I think of him as like a TikTok tennis player, I think is the phrase that I always That's say. Amazing. He's horrible. Frank's um, horrible. Yeah, I know I am. I, I, In fairness, I have slowly been coming around on Holger Rune because I think this year he actually has had some very nice results, made some good runs, and like finally looks like he's sort of turning a corner. But I think he suffers from the same thing that every other person who's coached by, um, I'm going to say coached in quotation marks, by Patrick Moratoglu um, suffers from which is that they're not actually coached and it's just a glorified like yes man to their overbearing parents. Um, and I just like, I don't know. I, I, I think he's fine. I think he's good. He's gotten good results. I agree that that is a matchup that like he definitely has a very fair chance at winning. I would pick Shapovalov because I, I think Shapovalov is a good player, but 100% that's that's an upset uh, watch match. Um I think the other one that could be fairly interesting is, I mean, it's not necessarily an upset. It's just like two, I think, very evenly matched players is Ugo Lombert versus Emil Rusevori. Um, in that top half of the draw, in that bottom half of the draw, again, I think that's super interesting. And again, um, right next to them, Casper Ruud versus Joe Willy Sanga. I would not count out Joe Willie Sanga, just saying. I mean, I know he's gotten whipped the last few times out, but, you know, final final match of his career, potentially, home crowd. Kasper Ruud, you know, decided to play in Lyon and, or Geneva this week, so he's going to be like, I don't really know why he, he decided to do that, but he did it, so he's not necessarily going to be fully rested, and and so we'll, we'll see what happens, but I, I think that's one to watch out for. Yeah, um, I, I I don't know about that, Frank, but um, I I think that we should also we gotta we definitely gotta watch out for Dominic Team. I think he's gonna be on suicide alert. He's playing against Hugo Dillian. Oh my god! <laughs> I mean, come on, let's be real. He the guy hasn't won a match since his comeback, right? No, Zero. no, I don't even think he I don't, has he even won a set. Oh no, he did win a set. He did win a set because he went to the third. He went to the third set with someone, and then he just completely toasted out and like lost pretty quickly. But um, yeah, I mean, there's no chance. To, I mean, Dominic Team. I mean, is is wildly falling off the map. I mean, if like my expectations of him were fairly low for this year, I think I said that on this podcast like many a times. Like I don't expect much of him, and he's managed to under under deliver on my low expectations. So shout out to Dominic Team. Um, I mean that like he has been absolutely like i don't I don't even know what's going on there um let's on- switch topics here i want to ask arabella a question here arabella yeah besides the favorites obviously and, and the top three favorites i think at this point are, are djokovic nadal alcraz and you can throw in Sitsipas just due to the fact that he's on the bottom of the draw who is your tournament dark horse hmm 
it's hard to say. I mean, I, I was really excited for Holger Rune to get some legs here um, just because, like, I really like his energy. But Tournament Dark Horse, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't really know if I see anyone um, coming out of left field here. I will say on the, on the Dominic team topic, though, I, I used to be, like, a really big Dominic team fan because I think his one-handed backhand down the line is one of the most satisfying shots to watch in tennis. Like he hits it from shoulder height, so much power. Like it literally spins to the side off of the court. Um, and so I, I became a fan of his after he won the U S open. Um, and then it was like weird what kind of happened to him. I think first he had this like mental downfall, um, you know, coming off the high of winning and then he broke his wrist. And I think this wrist thing might be the end of his career because it seems like he's just like lost confidence in hitting his forehand. And I think one of the commentators said something like if Dominic team like doesn't have power, then he's like nothing like he, like there's nothing else to his game. So I don't know. I'm kind of sad because like, I feel like we're missing out if we don't get to see Dominic team rip backhands down the line. Um, but I think without getting the forehand back, like there's no hope. Yeah, I I am a hundred percent with you on that opinion, uh, Arabella. I think I think Dominic team without his power is really pretty ineffective. Um, to answer the question of who is a dark horse, quite honestly, I'm kind of with Arabella. I don't really think there's gonna be a dark horse. However. Um, players that I would highlight who could make a run. Um, I mean, Yannick and PCB, uh, I think, ob- and, and Kazmanovic, I think from the bottom half, easy could, could, you know, reach a semifinal of the major for the first time would definitely be on the lookout for those guys. I'll give a shout out to Tommy Paul too. He's done great. So he deserves, he deserves a shout out. However, from the top half, which I think is far more interesting and competitive, I think the player who could really come out of nowhere and shock some people has the potential to beat one of those top guys if he just has a crazy day. Alejandro Davidovich Fakina, who I think is a spectacular player, especially on clay, never afraid to like come toe to go toe to toe with any of these top guys. I would want nothing to do with playing him. He's got like a relatively straightforward draw to the third round, I believe it is until he runs into Sasha Zverev. And I think Zverev is somebody that uh, ADF could 100% beat. Um, Upset alert, on his calling day. it right now. He's beaten Zverev. Zverev, no way. You just hate You just hate Zverev. Your, your hatred of Zverev runs deeper than my hatred of Tsitsipas. It's really incredible. I, I mean, come on. Like, let, let's, I, I think that that's legitimately a match that Fokina can actually snatch from Zverev. I, I believe that, that that can absolutely happen. I mean, could it happen? Sure. I I think to say that it will happen is strong on a clay court. Zverev, my... Zverev, Zverev has had a decent clay season. If you told you me can't, Hark... You can't if... take that away from him. I'm not taking it away from him, but Fakina has also had a great clay season, and that's his best surface. Yeah. What did he? he uh, the ADF got to the finals of uh, Monte Carlo, right? And then he got whipped by Sitsipas, but and that's fine. I mean, most players get whipped by Sitsipas on clay, so it is what it is. Oh, you know who I want to discuss? I want to hear where, what everyone thinks of how my boy Taylor Fritz is going to do this this tournament. Because Taylor Fritz realistically is pretty clear through to the round of 16. And then in the round of 16, he would potentially come up against Alcaraz. 
but uh, where do where do we think that Taylor Fritz is going to end up? I would say, um, well, Taylor Fritz, Fritz, I don't think has really been an item much during this clay season. I, I don't think we've seen him make a run anywhere. But generally speaking about Taylor Fritz, I think you might have touched on this in a previous episode. I think what sets him apart from other American players is that he's not just like big forehand, big serve, one-two punch. He actually is one of these players who might actually like his backhand more than his forehand. And I stick to my thesis that I think you have to have a strong backhand to be an elite player. So I guess for that reason, I, I like his chances versus maybe any other American. I'm looking at this draw. Um, it, it seems that he would ha- he's playing a qualifier. Then he's going to play Michael Moe or another qualifier. So I think he'll win that. Then he's going to play Isner, potentially, or Quinton Hales. I Probably think, Isner. Yeah. Isner, Isner, Isner's serve is good enough to get him to the second or third round of every major, so even I th- on clay. I think he should beat Isner, and then he loses to either Zverev or Fukina. So that's about it. Yeah. No, I, I'm in agreement. I think he gets the round of 16. Um, which, listen, for Taylor Fritz, like, that's that's a really – that's a pretty good result, you know? Like – Again, Tyler Fritz, I think, is building a very nice little uh, season for himself. So hopefully he does well. All right. We've now come to it. We've discussed the draw, our dark horses, the whole thing. Um, who's going to win? Let's hear it. Let's get the predictions out. I want a fi- oh, final, too. you got to give me a final, and then who wins it? Let's start with Arabelle, guest of honor. All right, the final. So oof, it's, it's so hard. To, to say the final is so hard because you have to choose between Djokovic, Nadal, and Alcaraz. And I feel like even that is a conversation in of itself. Um, so I think whoever, okay, let's just say this, whoever wins of those three uh, wins, wins the whole thing. Um, Nadal, I was really concerned about the foot, but apparently he's like really confident out there talking a big game. Um, I think Zverev made a comment that like, he thinks Nadal's shots are 20 miles per hour faster on Roland Garros versus any other court in the world. Like he just enters another zone when he's at RG. So, but I, but I think uh, Djokovic has the edge over Nadal because he's just feeling really confident, uh, physically perfect right now. Um, more match play recently. So I'll give Djokovic the edge over N- Nadal, but then Djokovic versus Alcaraz. Um, it's almost a toss up, but I still give Djokovic the edge of winning in best three out of five sets just because of that experience. And like, I watched a lot of match. I watched, you know, all of his matches at the U S open this last year. And a lot of them, he would go down, you know, one set to love two sets to love. And he just like enters this like sixth gear at these grand slam events of like mental lockdown and literally can figure out a way how to beat any player even if he's not playing his best so he's got something to prove he wants 21 Djokovic is my guy um Alcaraz takes out Tsitsipas straight sets in the final no other context to that you're just gonna you're just gonna lob out that ridiculous like like I mean, why is that ridiculous. why is that ridiculous it's not ridiculous it's just no context it's just like yep alcaraz over sitsipas straight sets that's it game over what context do i need to add 
beats he beats Zverev. I think he beats Nadal or Djokovic. I think the kid's ridiculous, and I think he's ready to do it. And then against Tsitsipas, come on, dude, that's not even competitive. All right, let's let's be clear here. Marcus has already placed his wager on Alcaraz to win Roland Garros, but um, yes, you did. You told us you. I did, did but it doesn't matter. Well. Still, my opinion. Guys, bold. You gotta love it. Um, so I agree with Tsitsipas getting to the final. I think that's everybody here. He's very clearly the best yeah, player yeah, on yeah. that side. Um, I largely actually agree with Arabelle. I think that of that hex that's sort of going to go on, um, I would take Novak to win there. Um, I know on the previous podcast I said whoever has to beat two of the three, being the three being Novak, Rafa, and Alcaraz, whoever has to beat two of them um, will not win. Like, will not be the one to get through. Um, so that would indicate, according to the draw, that Alcaraz should be getting through. But uh, upon thinking about it, I think that there is. Uh, I don't. I don't want to say there's a. I mean, there's not a chance. I don't think there's anybody that could upset Nadal, even with a foot injury, going into that match against Novak. But I just think because Nadal is not a hundred percent, I would take Novak to beat him. And I think Novak at this point, because of that match last year, is confident, is more confident of beating Nadal on clay than at any other point in his career. Novak just came off is just coming off of winning Rome. So that's another thing that I think is a huge benefit for him. And I think the point that Arabelle has made about Novak winning against Alcaraz three out of five is dead on. I think in three out of five, Alcaraz just does not have that experience yet to beat a player like Novak. And Novak, in their match, that was razor-thin margins in Madrid. In this court, like, Alcaraz is not going to have overwhelming, like, home court, you know, support like he did in Madrid. It's going to be a little bit more even, and it's going to be a bigger court, so it's going to favor the defense a little bit more. And I just, I think in that big moment, I would still take Novak at this point. Um, and at that point in the final, it would be Novak versus Sitsipas. And I actually think that there is a very good chance that Sitsipas could win this whole thing if Sitsipas just kind of cruises through his half of the draw and gets to the final and is feeling really fresh. And Novak is going to have beaten at that point Schwartzman, Nadal, Alcaraz, and potentially grueling, miserable matches. And I think there's a chance that Sitsipas could win the whole thing, but I would I would pick Novak. Novak is my is my is my winner. I agree with everything you just said, except that rules don't apply to Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, and there's the mic drop end of the episode. Gotta love it. Well, that's gonna do it for us, Arabelle. Thank you for joining us. Really appreciated it. You have better insight than Marcus does, that's for sure. So you're welcome back anytime. That doesn't take much. Yeah, that really does not take much. That's a very low, low, uh, a low, a low ba- uh, uh, barrier. But uh, yes, we appreciate you coming on. Um, as always, uh, hit us up on Instagram if you have any questions, comments, concerns at Breakpoint Podcast Seven. Marcus is begging you to send us an email. Apparently, so please send us an email at breakpointpodcast seven at gmail dot com. And uh, that's about it. If you're interested in being on the podcast, like Arabelle was today. Let us know. We're happy to have you on. It could be a topic of your pick, of your choosing, whatever you want. And uh, that's going to do it for us. So see you next time, guys.